Okay, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Zephaniah, Zephaniah chapter 3. Zephaniah chapter 3, and let's um, begin reading from verse 11 this morning. <clears throat> Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 11. It says, In that day uh, shalt thou not be ashamed for all thy doings, wherein thou hast transgressed against me. For then I will take away out of the midst of them uh, of thee them that rejoice in thy pride. And thou shalt no more be, a ha- be haughty because of my holy mountain. I will also leave in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity nor speak lies, neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. They shall feed and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all the hearts, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord hath taken away thy judgments, he hath cast out thine enemy. The King of Israel, even the Lord, is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil any more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear thou not, and to Zion, let not thine hands be slack. The Lord thy God is in the midst of thee. Uh, sorry, the Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly, who are of thee, to whom the reproach of it was a burden. Behold, at that time I will uh, undo all that afflict thee. And I will save her that halteth, and gather her that was driven out. And I will get them praise and fame in every land where they have been put to shame. At that time will I bring you again, even in the time that I gather you. For I will make you a name and a praise among all people of the earth. When I turn back your captivity before your eyes, saith the Lord. Let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this wonderful day. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be together in this place and to come around your word once again. Lord, I pray that this morning as we uh, conclude the book of Zephaniah, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would teach us uh, through your word this morning, that you refresh us through it. Lord, um, empower me now through your spirit. Give me wisdom and guidance as I speak. I pray that your words, your thoughts, and that, Lord, you would uh, use it to your glory. Uh, I pray these things now in Jesus' name. This morning we come to the conclusion of the book of Zephaniah. And the book concludes like uh, many of the minor prophets do on a high note. You know, most of the minor prophets as we've been going through, they all sort of have all their judgment and then they conclude on a high note. And the high note, of course, is the coming of the millennial kingdom. You know, after the great day of the Lord, when he comes and he defeats the nations gathered against Israel, Christ will set up his kingdom here on earth and reign for a thousand years. And in his description here of the kingdom, Zephaniah outlines for us the blessings of the kingdom. He outlines the blessings of the kingdom for the the Gentile nations and also the blessings for the remnant of Israel. And if you remember last time, uh, we saw the blessings for the Gentile nations. So this morning now we're going to consider the blessings for the nation of Israel. You know, when we looked at the, the blessings for the Gentile nations, we saw that Uh, In the kingdom, the Gentile nations will turn to the Lord. They will be converted and call upon the name of the Lord. And not only that, we saw also that they will serve the Lord. And part of that service was bringing a sacrifice, an offering unto the Lord, which was the people of Israel. They'll bring God's people back into 
the land. And then the rest of the chapter from verse 11 and onwards, as we just read, is all about the kingdom for the Jews. And the description that follows here is one of great blessing, particularly if you're a Jew. It's a, a description of great blessing for the Jewish nation. Um, you know, what, what the Lord outlines here is his, his blessings that he's going to bestow upon them in this day and the, and the great joy and rejoicing that Israel will have during this day as Christ rules and reigns. And you know, what this passage demonstrates to us clearly is that God's not finished with his people, you know, uh, as, as do all the prophets with their, with their descriptions of the millennial kingdom. It reminds us that God is not finished with Israel. He loves them and he has a plan for them. And so let us this morning consider the blessings of the kingdom for the remnant of Israel. And first of all, here we see that Israel will be purged and saved. Israel will be purged and saved. Verse 11, it says, In that day shalt thou not be ashamed, for all thy doings wherein thou hast transgressed against me, for then I will take away out of the midst of thee them that rejoice in thy pride. And thou shalt no more be haughty because of my holy mountain. I will also leave uh, in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity, nor speak lies, neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. For they shall feed and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Verse 11 starts out here by declaring, In that day shalt thou not be ashamed for all thy doings wherein thou hast transgressed against me. And the phrase here where it says, in that day, immediately points us back to the previous verses. Okay, It's talking about the great day of the Lord. Verse 8 in particular, just, let's just read it. Verse 8, it says, Therefore, wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise up to the prey, for my determination is to gather the nations, that I may assemble the kingdoms, to pour upon them my indignation, even all my fierce anger, for all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. Now, verse 8 describes for us that great day, the great day of the Lord. And as verse 11 start, starts out by saying, in that day, it's referring back to that. It's saying, in that day, following the events of the great day of the Lord, as Christ sets up his kingdom, the Jews will not be ashamed, it says here, for all their doings. And the reason that they will not be ashamed here is because God will have dealt with all of their sin. Okay, the reason they don't have to feel any shame is because God has dealt with the cause of shame, the reason for shame. Now, the reason for their shame will be removed. They will be purged. They will be cleansed. They will be sanctified. And so the cause for shame will be removed, and therefore they will not be ashamed in that day. Now, it's much like what happens to us at the point of salvation, isn't it? You know, when we get saved, we are positionally sanctified. We are cleansed. Our sin is dealt with. The, the cause for shame is removed, isn't it? Okay, we still sin, yes, and we struggle with, with sin every day. But the cause for shame is removed because we're covered by the blood. We've been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. We stand before God righteous, don't we? And the nation here, it says, will be cleansed, will be sanctified, and so the cause for their shame will be removed in that day. And in particular here, we're told that the Lord will remove the proud, and he will deal with the haughty spirit of the nation. At the end of verse 11 there, it says, For then I will take away out of the midst of thee 
them that rejoice in thy pride. And I shall no more be haughty because of my holy mountain. Says he's going to deal with the pride and the haughty spirit of the nation. Can we go and shut the door over there? This thing I can't even concentrate. If I can't concentrate, you guys surely can't concentrate out there. <laughs> I'm really struggling to keep my thoughts going. Okay, so the, the, here we're told he's going to remove the proud and the haughty spirits of the nation. Uh, back in verse 3 and 4 of the same chapter, it says, uh, Her princes within her are roaring lions, her judges are evening wolves. They gnaw not the bones till the morrow. Her prophets are light and treacherous persons. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. You know, here we're told in verse 3 and 4, we're given a description of the leaders, okay, in Israel, the, both the civil and the religious leaders. And if you like, the description there epitomizes their pride. Because the whole reason they act like this is because of their pride. They're lifted up with pride, thinking they can do as they please, and God won't judge them. They're lifted up with pride, and so they rebel against God. They live as they please, and so they oppress the people. Um, as it says there, they're like ravening wolves. They oppress the people and they lead the people in sin. And they rejoiced in their sin. And here God promises that in that day he's going to deal with these ones. He's going to deal with these ones who are lifted up with pride in their hearts, thinking they can live as they please, do as they please. God's going to deal with them. He's going to remove the rebellious. Okay, Ezekiel chapter 20, we don't need to turn there, but in Ezekiel 20 Verses 33 to 38, we have a description of this same idea that God will remove the rebellious from the nation of Israel, the proud, the rebellious ones. And so with these proud and arrogant ones being removed, the haughty spirit of the nation will also be dealt with. You take away the the proud people, then the spirit of the nation changes, doesn't it? Because it says there at the end of verse 11, uh, And thou shalt no more be haughty because of my holy mountain." And so he's going to remove the proud and arrogant ones and deal with the haughty spirit of the nation, the proud uh, spirit of the nation itself. You now, Israel as a nation, you know, they were guilty of being lifted up with pride, weren't they? They were a very proud nation. They were proud of their standing before God. Proud of the fact that, as it says there in verse 11, they had the holy mountain. They got the temple mount in Jerusalem. They have God's presence and so they were lifted up with pride. You know, they thought that judgment would never come against them. You know, we're God's people. We have the holy mountain. Surely God won't judge us. You know, we're God's special people. You know, even today, the nation of Israel, in a sense, is a very proud nation, aren't they? Proud of their heritage, proud of who they are. But here we see that in that day, God will remove the proud and deal with the nation's pride. And the result will be that the remnant is going to be a humble remnant before God. That's verse 12. It says, I will also leave in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. Now the remnants described for us here in verse 12 as being afflicted and poor. Afflicted and poor. You know, this doesn't mean that they're going to be Afflicted and poor in the sense of being diseased or poverty-stricken. Okay, rather, it's speaking about a change of attitude, a change of mind, a change of character as a result of the Persian, as a result of God taking away the, the, the sinful influence, taking away those who are proud and lifted up with pride. 
as a result of that, the people will be changed. Okay? There'll be a change of attitude, a change of character. The word afflicted here can also be translated humble. And that's really what the sense of the word is here. Okay? It's saying that he will leave a humble and poor people. The word poor speaks of someone who's needy. And again, the idea here is that they will recognize their need before God. So God takes away the proud and he leaves a humble and needy people. The remnant is a totally different people before the Lord. They're humble before Almighty God, acknowledging their need of him. The verse ends declaring, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. You know, what a change. The nation, instead of being lifted up with pride, sorry, will now be broken and humble before God and they will place their faith in him. They will be saved and they will be changed. Verse 13 then expresses for us the change. It says in verse 13, The remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity, nor speak lies, neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. For they shall feed and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Verse 13 here expresses the change. Okay, it says, they shall not do iniquity, nor speak lies, neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. This is the change now. This is what the remnant is going to be like. There's a change in their conduct and in their character. You see, the nation will finally be what God always intended them to be, a holy nation, a holy people. Exodus chapter 19, verse 6 says this, And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy Nation. That was God's desire from the beginning, wasn't it, for Israel? That they would be a holy people. And finally, in the millennial kingdom, they will be what God intended. They will be a humble and needy people. They will be changed. They will live righteously before Him. They will honor Him in the millennial kingdom under His reign. So we see that they will be all that God desires them to be. Sin will be dealt with, sin will be removed, and the people will be holy. The verse there ends with a picture of Israel as sheep lying down and being fed. It says, for they shall feed and lie down and none shall make them afraid. It's a total change, isn't it? Instead of being afraid of God because of their sin and, and under the judgment of God, they're now going to feed and lie down as he is their shepherd, taking care of them. They're going to experience the love and care of the shepherd. And with him as their shepherd, it says they have nothing to fear. And so we see that Israel will be purged or cleansed and saved. And secondly, here in this passage, we see Israel will be restored with rejoicing. Israel restored with rejoicing. That's verse 14 and onwards. Let's just read verse 14. It says, Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Now, having declared to us that in that day, Israel will be cleansed and saved. The prophet now declares the joy of the people in that day. He sort of declares for us what it's going to be like for Israel. You know, what, what kind of uh, rejoicing is going to be found in that day amongst the people of Israel. He says, Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all the hearts, O daughter of Jerusalem. You know, Zephaniah, you get the sense he's looking forward to this day. He, he's looking forward to the day when Christ is reigning. When Christ has set up his kingdom, it will be a day of great rejoicing for the Jews. They will have much to rejoice in. They have reason to sing, reason to shout, for joy as they consider all that God has done for them. 
And in the verses that now follow, the prophet lists for us the reasons for their joy. He sort of goes through all the things they will experience, all the things they have to rejoice in the Lord for. In verse 15, it begins by saying, The Lord hath taken away thy judgments. This really is the first cause for rejoicing. The Lord hath taken away thy judgments. You see, in the millennial kingdom, the chastisements or the judgments that were upon Israel will be taken away. Now, the chastisements that were there because of their disobedience will now be gone. They will no longer be under the judgment of God. Instead, they will be under the grace and the mercy of God, the loving hand of God. We saw already the cause for Israel's shame will be taken away. They will be cleansed. And so now they're no longer under the judgment of God. They're now under His love and grace. There's a total change in the way they're experiencing God, isn't there? Okay, God's judgments are taken away for Israel. He goes on in verse 15. He says, The Lord hath taken away thy judgments. He hath cast out thine enemy. The second reason to rejoice is because the enemy has been dealt with. Now, at the time of writing of this prophecy, the present threat was the Babylonians. They were the, the threat that was on the horizon. That was the threat coming. And indeed, God would deal with the Babylonians in his time. And indeed, he has dealt with them, hasn't he? You know, this dealing with the enemy here is speaking about much more than just the Babylonians. It's referring to the final overthrow of all of Israel's enemies, collectively. Verse 19, just drop down there. Verse 19 starts out, it says, Behold, at that time I will undo all that afflict thee. In other words, I will deal with all that afflict thee. You see, this is the reason for rejoicing for Israel. There's reason to rejoice because all of their enemies will be dealt with. All of them. There won't be any left, no hostile nations left. They will all be dealt with in that day. Now, right now, Israel is surrounded by hostile nations, aren't they? They're right in the middle of all those Arab nations. Israel has no peace. They're always in the news, aren't they? For some sort of turmoil, some sort of fighting going on. They have no peace. But when Christ comes again and he sets up his kingdom, Israel will have peace because all of their enemies will be dealt with. You know, that is reason to rejoice, isn't it? That's what, that's what Zephaniah is saying here. The Lord will take away your judgments and he will take away your enemies. Rejoice, shout for joy. The third reason to rejoice here is because Christ, the King, is in their midst. Verse 15 again, it says, The King of Israel, even the Lord, is in the midst of thee. The King is in the midst. The Lord himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, is on the throne. The eternal Son of God. He's going to be there ruling and reigning in their very midst. Now, this is what Israel's longed for, isn't it? All the way through. Even when Christ came the first time, that's what they wanted. They wanted him to set up the kingdom. It's what they're longing for. And that day will arrive and Christ will be on the throne. He will be in their midst. You know, when Christ came the first time, the Jews rejected their king, didn't they? You know, when Caesar presented him to them, they cried out, you know, we have no king but Caesar. So when Pilate presented him, you know, they cried out, we have no king but Caesar. And then they cried out, crucify him. But now in that wonderful day in the millennial kingdom, the Jews will joyfully accept Christ as king. 
They will acknowledge him as King of Kings, as Lord of Lords, and he will be there in their midst on the throne. You know, the rightful king of Israel will be on the throne and reign. Verse 15 then ends, declaring that they will rejoice because they will not see or fear evil anymore. It says, Thou shalt not see evil anymore. You know, with Christ, the eternal Son of God, ruling in their midst as king, they will not see evil. In other words, they're not going to see any adversity, any trouble. Nothing's going to afflict them anymore what a wonderful time that's going to be christ is king there is no trouble there is nothing to fear that's what verse 16 goes on to say it says in that day it shall be said to jerusalem fear thou not and desire let not thy hands be slack it says fear thou not you have nothing to fear and let not thy hands be slack that phrase there let not thy hands be slack means don't be weary don't be weak In other words, it's saying, be of good courage, be strengthened. You see, Israel will not have reason to fear or be weary in that day because Christ is king. There's no reason to be downhearted. There's no reason to be weary and well-doing. Instead, be encouraged, be strengthened. Take courage, be strengthened in the knowledge that your enemies are dealt with. Judgment is past and Christ is on the throne. Verse 17, he then declares that Israel will have reason to rejoice because God, who is in their midst, will rest in his love. It says in verse 17, The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save, he will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. Here we see a description of the renewed relationship between God and Israel between God and his chosen people. You know, the marriage contract will be renewed. Now, that's the description of Israel in the Old Testament, isn't it? As the the wife of God, okay? And the marriage contract will be renewed. The relationship will be restored. And it says here that God will rest or be silent in his love. Be silent in his love. You see, the point is here that God will no longer have occasion or reason to to rebuke them. No reason to denounce his people. And so now he rests in his love. He has quiet joy in his love for his people. Now the first time that Christ came to earth, he lamented over his people, didn't he? He lamented over Jerusalem for their sin, for their wickedness, for their rejection of him. He wanted to gather them as a loving hand under his wings. But they rejected him. Just go with me quickly to Matthew 23. Matthew 23 and verse 37. It says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and you would not. You know, Christ here is lamenting over Jerusalem. Over Jerusalem because of their rejection of him. He wanted to gather them. He wanted to gather them as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings to protect them, care for them. And they rejected him. But now as Israel is restored, Zephaniah describes the fact that now they will accept Christ and God in his love will rest over them. Rest in his love. As a mother hen gathers them under her wings. That's the description here. 
God will gather Israel under his wings, protect them, love them, care for them. As he always wanted to, he will finally rest in his love. And it says he will sing over them. At the end of the verse, he will joy over them with singing. He will sing to them. It's the idea of a mother singing to a child. He will sing to them as he rejoices over his people. And then in verse 18, we see the final reason given to rejoice is the restoration of the solemn assembly. It says, I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly, who are of thee, to whom the reproach of it was a burden. You know, for centuries, the Israelites have been unable to worship God in the way they want to, the way that God intended. You know, they've been unable to worship with proper observance of the feast, the, the offerings, the holy days. You know, since the destruction of the temple in AD 70, the Jews have had no temple. They've had no altar, no priesthood, no offerings. You know, this is a source of great sorrow for the Jews, especially the pious Jews, those who are greatly religious. It is a source of great sorrow for them. But here we're told that Israel in that day will be gathered for the solemn assembly. In other words, there will be a restoration of worship at the temple, the new temple in the millennial kingdom. Now this worship, of course, will be a modified worship because instead of looking forward to what Christ is going to do, it's going to look back at what Christ has already done. But there will be a restoration many of the prophets speak about this restoration of worship at the temple. And that will be a cause for joy for Israel. Now, this is what they want. They want the temple. They want to worship the Lord. And in that day, they will be gathered for the solemn assembly. And then verse 19 and 20 conclude this wonderful chapter for Israel by again declaring the restoration of his people to the land. It says in verse 19, Behold, at that time, I will undo all that afflict thee, and I will save her that halteth, and gather her that was driven out, and I will get them praise and fame in every land where they have been put to shame. At that time I will bring you again, even in the time that I gather you, for I will make you a name and a praise among all the people of the earth, when I turn back your captivity before your eyes, saith the Lord. You know, having dealt with Israel's enemies, the Lord will restore the nation. God will bring his people who have been downtrodden, who have been abused by others for centuries. He will bring them all back into the land. And described here in verse 19 as her that halteth and her that was driven out. Described as being lame and cast out of their land. It's used here to represent the nation as a whole. And the nation as a whole, this lame and driven out nation will come back. God promises to bring them back into the land to restore the nation to its former glory. And it says that he will give them a name that's celebrated in all the earth. At the end of verse 19 there it says, And I will get them praise and fame in every land where they've been put to shame. And then in verse 20 as well, And at that time I'll bring you again, even in the time that I gather you, for I will make you a name and a praise among all the people of the earth. Twice here the Lord through the prophet declares that he's going to give them a name. A name of praise in the earth. You see, where once Israel was the object of shame and derision and ridicule, now the nations will praise them and celebrate them and celebrate what God has done for them. You know, in 1948, Israel became a nation. And so, we, in a sense, we can see the beginnings of the fulfillment of this passage come. The nation is being restored. 
But the complete fulfillment of this is yet future. Now, Israel is still the object of shame, aren't they? They're still the object of derision by the nations of the world. And they don't possess all of the land. But the day is coming when they will be completely restored. And they will have Christ as king and they will be celebrated and praised by the nations of the world. Now, the the passage before us this morning, you know, it outlines for us the wonderful blessings of the millennial kingdom for the Jews. You know, that wonderful day when Christ comes again, he will set up his kingdom. Israel will be purged and saved and they will enter into that kingdom with great rejoicing. Rejoicing over all that it means for them as Christ now rules in their midst. You know, we shouldn't walk away thinking this passage means nothing to us. You now, while this passage is concerning Israel, Revelation chapter 20 declares that if we're saved, we're going to see this take place. Just go with me, Revelation chapter 20. As we close this morning, Revelation 20 verse 6. Revelation 20, verse 6, it says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Well, we're going to be there to witness all this unfold. We're going to be there to rule and reign with him for a thousand years. At the end of the tribulation, we're going to come back with Christ and we'll rule and reign with him. What a wonderful promise that is. You see, all of these things that we've read in Zephaniah, we're going to see them happen. We're going to be there. We're going to be there with Christ and watch as He bestows all these blessings upon His people. And I'm sure we will rejoice as we witness this unfold, as we witness Him defeat the nations, as we see Him set up His kingdom, as we see Israel, God's people, the apple of His eye, restored. We will rejoice in that day as we witness these things take place. Beloved, we're going to see the joy of the kingdom firsthand. These things that we're reading, we will see happen. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? That's an incredible thing that we're going to see it firsthand with our own eyes. You can't get excited about that. There's something wrong. Yes, it's talking about Israel, but we're going to see this, beloved. It's pretty incredible. You're there to witness God's love for his people. You know, I think this passage also serves to remind us of his wonderful love and grace. The wonderful love and grace of our almighty God. See, even after all that Israel has done, even after their rejection of him, all they have, the shame that they've done, God is going to restore them. God has not cast them off. He hasn't rejected them. He's put them aside for a season, but God still loves them. And in his love and grace, he will restore them. Beloved, if you know Christ, your Savior, this morning, you've experienced that grace firsthand. We've experienced that grace. Now, we're saved by grace through faith. We're given something we do not deserve. You know, that grace doesn't end at salvation, does it? Daily, daily we experience God's grace as He forgives our sin. Daily we all sin. Daily we fail Him and it hinders our fellowship with Him. But as we come and we confess that sin, he restores us to loving fellowship with Him. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Beloved, let us rejoice today. 
in the grace of our wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's close in the word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for these Old Testament passages, Lord. Passages, Lord, which, yes, are pointing to a future time for Israel. Lord, it ought to thrill and encourage our souls as believers to know that we will be there to witness it firsthand, to see your love, to see your grace for your people. Lord, it also ought to remind us of your love and grace towards us in saving us and indeed in restoring us to fellowship each day as we confess our sin, as we keep our hearts right before you. Lord, may we today rejoice in the wonderful grace of Jesus. Blessed to be closed, now we pray in Jesus' name. Let's go to 209 as we close. We stand to sing the first and the last of grace.